Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's up, everybody? Matt Kajeski here, back again with the Odd Shopper channel. And today we're talking about some college basketball bets. It is Friday, February the 2nd. We are on the eve of just an absolutely enormous college basketball slate featuring a slew of top 10 matchups. But we got to dive into a couple mid-majors before we get started. Hit that thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel, and hit the notification bell so you know when this and all other content goes live. We're also brought to you by BetMGM, and they have a limited time offer for those of you in all legal betting states except New York, Puerto Rico, and Nevada. What you'll do is click the link in the video description below. Make your first deposit of at least $5. Place a $5 wager on any team, market total, whatever you want. Whether that wins or loses, you will be paid out $158 in the form of bonus bets. You must be 21 or older to play in most states. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, please call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. That's a limited time offer too. So take advantage of it before it's gone. I can promise you it will not be around forever. All right, let's recap yesterday. Another solid day. We've been running kind of hot, stringing together some pretty good performances over the last couple days or so. As far as yesterday's picks, I'll start with sort of the greasy games, an area where we've been having a lot of success. Hit Tosin against Northeastern. The players we expected to miss that game did in fact miss. The under came in for Drexel Monmouth. Delaware smashed William and Mary, who is not at full strength. Moorhead State smashed Tennessee State. Southern Indiana got a win. Western Illinois got a win. Our losses did include some of the players in just the extra area of the show. Western Kentucky did not come in. Jacksonville State, Eastern Washington. I, perhaps against my own better judgment, bet against my very own Milwaukee Panthers. They have some players missed the game due to injury, so I added IPFW late, which ended up being a loss. And then kind of the elephant in the room is Wisconsin. They had a 19-point lead that they blew. And, you know, it's funny. I bet this game in the identical situation last year. So with my parents, I went to Wisconsin. So, you know, we're sweating out the Badgers. And they gave up like a 17-point lead on the road at Nebraska last year with Casey Tomanaga just shooting the lights out of the gym. And then I have deja vu this year. The same exact thing happens. But what I'll say on this, and I'll say my piece to the look ahead bros, and then I'll be done. I'm not even saying looking ahead to Purdue, look ahead situations don't matter. They might. I think there's two things with them. One, your ability to figure out when the look ahead spot is actually meaningful is impossible. And your ability to quantify it is also impossible. So what do I mean by that? The Badgers have Purdue this Sunday. A game, early look ahead lines have Purdue four to five point favorites on the road. If Greg Gard was a rational coach, which we know he's not, he would tell his team, look, this game against Nebraska is arguably more important than the Purdue one because we're going to lose to Purdue more than likely. So we should probably take this game against an inferior opponent and treat it seriously. I'm not in the locker room. I don't know what he did. The point is, you don't know the message Greg Gard is sending to the coach if this team is actually overlooking Purdue, excuse me, overlooking Nebraska or if Greg Gard is hammering the message home, this Nebraska game is just as important because we lose this game. We're losing to Purdue next. We're going to be behind them in the Big Ten standings based on this loss 
more so than the Purdue one, which is likely to occur. Second of which, say that look-ahead spots are easy to predict, which they're not. But let's just say they are. You can figure out when these look-ahead spots matter. How much are they worth? Tell me how much they're worth. I build models that predict lines. What if this opened as the Badgers plus two? I guarantee you the narrative would have been the exact same from these lazy cappers, incapable of actually reading analysis or making models. Badgers look ahead spot, got to take Nebraska, even though they're minus two. So my hypothetical is just like, what if the line opened differently? What would these people say? And the analysis would be the exact same. So again, not saying look aheads don't exist or matter. I think your ability to figure out when they exist and how much they're worth is next to impossible. Moving on. We got some games for today. Thank you guys for listening to my rant. If you have if you have comments or something, throw them, throw them below. We'd love to hear it or fight with you if you disagree. All right. First things first, we kick things off with Kent State taking on Buffalo. Notice there's a problem with the logos for whatever reason. It's showing up on my end. I don't know why it's not showing up on the screen, but it's Kent State versus Buffalo. The first one we'll get to. I took Buffalo plus nine as the home team here against Kent State. There's a pretty wide gap in these two teams. It's evidenced in the record. Buffalo has two wins. Kent State, they're 10 and 11. So not the top of the MAC, but still, they've shown themselves to be a pretty decent team this year. They have basically advantages across the board. Offense, defense, slight rebounding. Tempo's going to be modest in this game. But I think there's two actionable bets. The first one's Buffalo plus nine. The second one is the under. I'm going to start on the side first. So with the home team, Buffalo has played through a lot of injuries this year, and they've started to get some of their pieces back, which I think gives us a little bit of wiggle room towards the Buffalo side, just in the efficiency metrics. You know, with all these injuries, seeing them come outside the top 300, it makes a lot of sense in certain situations. But as far as this game goes, Buffalo has now returned their two best players, Genevieve Smith and Isaiah Adams. Both of them have missed a lot of time this year, but they've both since returned to the lineup. And if you just look at the players overall, this Buffalo team has, they only have one in the top 50. That's per evanmead.com where you can look at player ratings. I like sorting by conference. So that's what I've done here. Of the top 50 players in the MAC, Buffalo only has one, but it, it is Genevieve Smith who has missed a lot of time. Adams is right there as well. As far as Kent State goes, they do have a top 10 player in the conference. They have three in the top 25, seven in the top 50. So they definitely have a talent advantage in this spot. But when you're looking at home dogs, when you're looking at dogs and you're trying to figure out how many points they should actually be projected to lose by, which I just use a model for in math. But if I'm going to back a team like that, I want to at least know they have an advantage in some spot, which Buffalo actually does. And I think they can exploit the interior of Kent State. You look at effective height. Buffalo is 223, Kent State is 346. You look at interior scoring, Buffalo is not great. They're 120th, but Kent State is 288th at defending the paint. So yeah, there's pretty wide gaps across efficiency metrics, even effective shooting percentage or effective field goal percentage, excuse me. Kent State's 135, Buffalo's 316. But still, when you parse this into how these teams score, how they defend, there is an advantage that Buffalo could potentially exploit. And I think this height advantage is also apparent in the rebounding. Yeah, Kent State has a slight advantage here, but it's very close. So Buffalo playing through their height. And, you know, we mentioned this at the beginning of the show. Smith, that player that missed a lot of time, who's the only one ranked inside the top 50, he's the reason their height, I think, has a little bit of room left to grow. He's 6'9", plays the 5. Kent State plays a weird lineup. They're often using Peyton at the 5, who's 6'7". 
The only thing I'll say there is they did get back Clyron Hornbeek, who is 6'9", plays the five at, at times too, but he's not a full-time player, so maybe this is a little bit overpronounced. But anyway, Buffalo does have at least a strength on paper. We'll see if they can exploit it. At the end of the day, it is a lot of points for the home team who's played better since they got their two best players back from injury. Second game, and this one is going to be electric. I think it's probably the best game in the Ivy League all year. Princeton hits the road to take on Yale. These are the top two teams in the Ivy League based on most power metrics. Basically top 100 across most efficiency metrics. You look at player personnel. Both these teams are absolutely awesome. Just players littered throughout the top 10 of this conference. And I'll kind of break it down team by team here for you guys. But it, I, I'll just say this right away. It's, it's very close. So starting with Princeton, you have Caden Pierce, number two player in the conference. Xavier Lee, number three, Zach Martini, number six, Matt Aloko, number eight, Blake Peters, number 13. This is a really tight rotation for Princeton, too. They're very seldom rotating players. So your starting five, all being in the top 13, is extremely impressive. But then you go to Yale. I mean, this is impressive, too. They do run a wider rotation, which is worth noting. But Matt Noling, number four, Bez Bong, number five, John Pulitikaitis, Excuse me, John, I'm saying your name. You're number nine, August Mahoney, number 12, Danny Wolf, number 19. Just elite players across the board here. But the last thing I'll say on the player personnel is you do have the upper end talent slightly better for Princeton with a number two and three player, and they're not taking them off the floor. Occasionally you see Yale rotate, and when they do, like Casey Simmons comes on the floor. He's 38th. Yassine Graham, he's number 45. So I kind of like that Princeton's not rotating as much. And Princeton does have just drastic advantages in some efficiency metrics. Yale has the height. This is noteworthy and it's important to mention because they do have a seven footer in Danny Wolf. He's not a full-time player. I, I'm not sure why, probably just conditioning stuff, I would guess. When he's not on the floor, they'll use some like Nick Townsend at the five, who's six, seven. So you do have height advantages at times when Danny Wolf is on the floor. And this is important because the overall efficiency metrics will show you Princeton's 332nd in effective height. Yale is 104th. The rebounding edge is Yale's direction as well. 79th to 174. But man, shooting is just vastly in favor of Princeton. This team is 26th in effective field goal percentage. 155th is Yale. On the interior, Princeton is number eight in two-point percentage. They're seventh in the country at three-point rate. They shoot those at a top 115 percentage. Yale does not defend the perimeter well. They are 231 at defending the three. They're pretty good inside, 81, which, again, that's their strength. They play through their front court. But Princeton largely wins through their guard play, which I think is going to be an advantage in this spot. Honestly, really good game. On a neutral court, I think this is Princeton slightly favored. And I think playing at home, this should be close to a pick'em. This is Yale's home court. So there is value on the Princeton side, in my opinion, just getting them plus three and a half, which is the number we'll take here. Oh, and previously we talked about the Buffalo game. I forgot to mention I did take an under there. It's it's mainly just a pacing thing. I'll bring you back to that screen briefly before we move on. As you can see, pacing not great. Offensive efficiency not great either. But, of course, chop these lines. I've seen this Princeton one go to three in a lot of spots. If you can find a three and a half, take it. Check out Odd Chopper. The link is below. There's all sorts of odd shopping tools on that site where you can find the best lines. We have packages available that give you our market-based approach to identify plus EV betting spots. Helps with college hoops, but not just that. NBA, all the sports you could possibly imagine. 
Our package also includes the analysis from our experts in the Discord. I'm in there if you're interested. $14.95 for a week, $49.95 for a month. No long-term commitments. Check it out. I don't think you'll be disappointed. So those are the three official bets for the show. I'll recap them briefly. It's Princeton plus three and a half, Buffalo plus nine, under 148 and a half in the Buffalo game. I have some leans in the bigger game, so we'll at least mention them. If you're interested in hearing about them, we'll just go forward with the game. Creighton's minus 10 and a half at home against a pretty damn good Butler team. And the total in this game has been vastly rising, just shooting through the air. It's at 147 and a half. And I don't know what to really make of that. I show value on the Butler side and towards the under. It wasn't enough for me to bet, but it's getting damn near close to betting Butler season. The reason I haven't is they do have a pretty significant height disadvantage. Not a tall team. They don't play with, I think, elite front court players. Creighton is third in the country in effective height. The team's 38th in rebounding. They're fourth in two-point percentage. Butler's 143rd at defending that area of the court. Ryan Kalkbrenner is a huge mismatch. He rarely deals with fouling. This team, they foul less than any other team in the entire country. Kalkbrenner, he's almost never coming off the floor because of that. And then this team can shoot threes too. They're top 100 in three-point percentage. They're sixth in three-point rate, so their three in rim rate is elite. Butler has excellent guards, and they defend the three pretty well with, with some of their guards, like Posh Alexander is an excellent defender. So I actually like the way this team is composed. I'm just not sure if they can hang with Kalkbrenner, assuming Creighton decides to play through him. So I'm waiting on a Butler. It's getting close to me betting. I mean, this Butler team has been pretty imp- impressive. They just beat Nova in overtime. They, they beat Marquette earlier this year, played single digits to UConn, who's an electric team. They're a little up and down, which worries me especially when Creighton does have a pretty significant interior advantage. But we'll wait and see on this. I'll tweet it if I end up taking Butler. Last game is Ohio State taking on Iowa. I'm kind of kicking myself for not betting this. I've been looking for an Ohio State betting spot. They played horribly of late, but I think they are a buy low. Against Iowa is tricky. They're on the road, and Iowa can really score, but Iowa cannot defend at all, evidenced by their 114th defensive efficiency. And I waited on this. It's now five and it was six taking the Ohio state plus six would have made a lot more sense than the five. So I think it's probably just a stay away, but a lot of the efficiency metrics are just straight up better for Ohio state defensive efficiency. They're significantly better than Iowa rebounding 42nd versus 185, which doesn't make a ton of sense to me because Iowa does play with a lot of height. They're 61st in effective height. The, the one thing I'll say about that is Iowa does foul quite a bit. So that could be a reason why. The rebounding numbers aren't quite as good when some of their front court players foul, but Ohio State's excellent at defending the interior. That's where Iowa largely scores. Iowa 52nd or 57th, excuse me, in two point percentage. Ohio State's 44th defending that. Iowa does not shoot a lot of threes. They're 319th in three point rate. That's where Ohio State's weak on defense. So it's kind of nice to see all right, this team, they are vulnerable here, but Iowa will choose not to exploit this. And then again, significant rebounding advantage for Ohio State. Ohio State does seed some effective field goal percentage, but this is also an excellent offensive rebounding team, so they get good second-chance opportunities. If a six comes back or you can find a trailing six, I think it's worth taking, but it's not available to me and not one I'll be taking. All right, thanks, guys, for watching. Let me know in the comments what you think. Reach out on Twitter, at Matt underscore Kajewski, if you would like. My DMs are open, always willing to answer questions. We'll be back tomorrow for the the star-studded Saturday slate and – perhaps Sunday if I've got some free time. We'll see. Until next time, good luck. We'll see you later.